Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning! Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's Tuesday, the 20th of February. What's on your agenda today? I don't know. I just felt like I was going to say, hey, good looking, what you got cooking? Because it's Taste and See Tuesday. You cooking something up today? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you cooking today? What are you cooking up? Uh, yeah, let us be people who allow Christ to be known in the breaking of the bread today. Let us live in such a way that people can taste and see that the Lord is good, um, that his steadfast love endures forever. Yeah, all, all the good things, all the good things today. Saw a bumper sticker yesterday, keep on keeping on. And I thought, you know what? Keep on keeping on is the spirit of Hebrews 13, one and two. Now I am not sure Based on the other bumper stickers on this particular vehicle, I'm not sure that they were going for the Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, keep on loving each other, keep on keeping on, just just based on, you know, just based on the variety of bumper stickers and stickers in their window and other things that they were seeking to communicate <clears throat> to the person behind them in traffic. But I took keep on keeping keeping on to, you know, I was just like, Thank, thank you, God. Thank you for that little nod in the direction of Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. You say, huh, you know, never really thought about just allowing God to sort of spark my thoughts related to the Bible um, by the bumper stickers that people slap onto their cars. But there you go. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 is our growing your faith verse of the day. Should be growing your faith verses of the day. But there you go. Who's um, who's nitpicking this early in the morning? Really? All right, Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget hospitality to strangers, for some of you have uh, have done this, have entertained angels without realizing it. All right, so keep on keeping on. Keep on loving each other. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. And you say to yourself, huh, not really sure that the ways in which Uh, I loved my brothers and sisters or was loved by my brothers and sisters when we were little. Not really sure that is the biblical model. Yeah, what we're talking about here, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as people who have been reconciled to God the Father through Christ the Son by the power of the Spirit. Keep on loving each other uh, as God has knit you together in his family of faith. Love the brothers. Love the sisters. Keep on keeping on in your love of one another. Be persistent. And don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, people that you don't know. For some who have done this, some who have showed hospitality to strangers, they've entertained angels without realizing it. Now, do you think if an angel showed up at your house and knocked on the door, well, that's, I mean, you know, whether or not that's how it happens, uh, that you would recognize them as such? I mean, if you encountered an angel today, would you know it? Do you recognize that angels are real? Like angels are really, really real? And that angels are among us? 
Um, do you know that? Like, do you know, know that? Keep on keeping on. The other um, passage of scripture that came to mind and something that you and I engage in frequently is the blessing of one another using using the uh, formula for blessing in the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. When we say that over one another, when I speak that blessing over you frequently, the Lord bless you and keep you. What does it mean for the Lord to keep you? And in the spirit of Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, keep on loving each other. What does it mean to keep our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, it means that um, we are we are kept. You're a kept woman. You're a kept man. The Lord bless you and keep you. Um, enfold his everlasting arms around you. Hide you in the shelter of his of his love. Be your refuge and your strength. Forever and ever, God speaks over you. This one is mine. That's what it means to be kept. The Lord bless you, yes, but the Lord keep you. This one is mine. God keeps on keeping on in his love for us. God keeps on loving you. So in the spirit of Christ, let us keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. And yes, let us not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. How about you and I have a conversation about angels next? I get lots of questions in the, you know, in the Monday mailbag. I get lots of questions about angels, whether or not we become angels, what angels are, are they still around? How are they different than demons? Is it possible that my friend is an angel? Um, Could I be touched by an angel? Yes, all of those kinds of things. So how about you and I spend a little time this morning talking about the angels among us? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, on this Taste and See Tuesday, Anne texted in on the text line. You can you can be like Anne, 877-933-2484. When I ask, um, you know, hey, good looking, what you got cooking on this Taste and See Tuesday? She shared that she has chicken and wild rice soup cooking. Uh, it is not ever too early in the morning to get your soup pot going. I made uh, I made some soup yesterday. I um, I believe that everything good starts with an onion. So, <clears throat> like all tasty, savory things, this uh, this pot of soup started with an onion, celery, carrots. No mystery to that, right? Like that is now now you you're just like that's that's a pot of soup that could go any direction, any direction. Well, this one went in the direction of ham and white bean. So there you go. And it was delicious. So um, what do you got cooking today? Um, Anne's got uh, chicken and wild rice soup cooking today. What do you got cooking? We are cooking up uh, conversations here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Faith Radio. So we do something, um, I guess, periodically because I failed to do it yesterday. Uh, periodically, we do something called Monday Mailbag. But sometimes on Monday, this is not time to do Monday Mailbag. And so it, you know, <clears throat> bleeds over into other days of the week. So Monday mailbag on Tuesday. This is a conversation about angels. And I actually get several questions about angels, um, particularly when people are trying to 
not just understand things for themselves, but explain things to others or enter into a conversation where somebody is referred to as an angel and they want to say, yeah, that's that's not that that's not really true. Um, or somebody refers to somebody after death as, you know, oh, well, you know, they got their wings. OK, also not true. And so how do we be people of truth? How do we um, be people of biblical integrity in a world that is awash in angel worship, confusion about angels. I mean, just let's start right here. Angels don't have wings. Like, they don't have wings. Like, let's just start right there in terms of the things that we imagine about angels that are fundamentally not biblically true, not biblically accurate. So, um, most people get their ideas about angels from art, from movies, from television shows, uh, from historical writings outside of the Bible. But there's a lot in the Bible about angels. And so let's just say you were to read Luke chapter 1, and you were to read about the angel Gabriel and how the angel Gabriel is described standing before Mary. Um. Yeah, you're not getting a biblical picture if what you are imagining is a being with neatly folded wings. Because <laughs> that's not in there. So what does the Bible really say about angels? Um, and are you filtering your ideas about angels through popular myths? And yes, this would get into a conversation about demons, but we're not going to go there yet. So this is, uh, yes, I mean, our ideas, for those of you texting in, those of you um, who recognize that, yes, Satan is a fallen angel, um, and we could talk about how Satan is described in the scriptures, but that would be an entirely different conversation than the one we're going to have today, which is um, unfallen angels, the angelic host, the obedient servants of God. So in reality, angels are majestic, loyal members, majestic, loyal members of God's heavenly host. And so while most people associate them with um, the word angel, it's actually, that's actually just one of the terms that's used in the Bible for these supernatural beings, because the word angel is really like a job title. And so when you think about all of the different varieties of human beings, okay, lots of human beings, right? Um, and they they look different, they live in different places, and they have different kinds of jobs. And so angel is like applying the surname hunter or, um, yeah, you'd like become, it's a job description. <laughs> Messenger is what angel means. So when you see the word angel, um, that is a job description. It is It is the job of one particular group, category, it's a designation, it's a job description. They're angels, they are messengers of God. There are other supernatural beings described in the scripture that that are not angels, that's not their job, um, but they are still supernatural servants. And so angels are these supernatural servants who are loyal, um, holy, heavenly beings, um, but they're not to be worshipped because, like you and me, they are creatures. In fact, they are a created order that is um, 
beneath us in some ways because they're not redeemed and um it's not they're not experiencing redemption it's a it, it's a complicated um relationship between human beings and angels and it is laid out in the scriptures so maybe you presume that um the only things that need to be known about angels is what's been like passed on in literature or in art but it's really incomplete if you if you don't have an accurate understanding of who the angelic hosts are in the Bible and the work of angels in Scripture. So if you were to sort of rate yourself on your view of angels and the angelic hosts and the work of angels, how accurate do you think your your view of them is? Maybe 50-50? You know, you feel like you might get a 50-50 score. Um, then how good do you think you're going to be at recognizing them when they're hiding in plain sight? When in, you know, as described in today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, when when they're walking around among us as strangers, when they need hospitality, will you entertain angels and remain unaware, or will you know enough about angels that you might become aware? Aha! Mary on the text line has asked the ding, 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 ding question of the day, because, you know, the wings thing comes up, right? And so that's going to take us into a conversation about the seraphim and the cherubim, the cherubim and the seraphim, or the seraphim and the cherubim, not angels. I know, just blew your mind. And so with that, we'll take a very brief break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the seraphim and the cherubim. Who are they? Um, How are they different than angels? Yeah, it's a job description issue, by the way. Seraphim and cherubim, just like the word angel, job descriptions, where they function, how they function, and what they're doing. Um, So uh, you might be looking at Ezekiel 1. You might be looking at Isaiah 6. You might be looking in the book of Revelation. And you might be looking in Hebrews chapter 1, where we talk about angels as ministering spirits. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey! Faith Radio is celebrating 75 years of bringing faith to life. That's right. We are 75 this year. So to celebrate, we are giving away 75 Faith Radio birthday boxes packed with all kinds of fun things to help you grow in your walk of faith and, yes, celebrate with us. So we're going to be celebrating the birth and growth and future of Faith Radio all year long, and you are an integral part of the Faith Radio family, and so we want to send you a gift. How fun is that? This is our birthday song. It isn't very long. So to enter to win a Faith Radio birthday box today, come to MyFaithRadio.com. All right, angels are not inhabiting your body. No, um, they are not like ghosts. No. Um, good questions. Uh, answers to both of those, no. Aren't angels, uh, aren't seraphim and cherubim angels? No. Um, so let's sort some of that out this morning. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Um, for those of you who have asked and I have uh, had time to answer you on the text line, yes, Michael Heiser's book on the topic of angels, Michael Heiser's book entitled Angels, um, I would highly recommend. I would also recommend um, uh, the chapters in Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, Um because the chapters where he talks about angels uh, is also just excellent and answers a lot of questions about, you know, 
how angels interact with us, whether or not we become angels, um, you know, when people, you know, aren't people going to get their wings? Okay, again, no, no, no. All right. So a lot of, lot of misconceptions, a lot of myths out there in relationship to angels. So I'm just going to touch on a few more things here in terms of what the Bible actually says um, angels do, who they are, and distinguish them here momentarily from uh, the cherubim and the seraphim, because I do think that is where we get the wings, the wings conversation. All right. Um, angels, as members of God's heavenly host, uh, the the messengers, those who are actually angels, they don't have wings. They're never described in the Old or New Testament as as having wings. Go through the Old and the New Testament, and when people encounter angels, specifically angels, they don't have wings. They look just like human beings. I mean, yeah, they're big and terrifying, but they're, they look enough like people that people sometimes mistake them for people. So there are two occasions, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, and the resurrection tomb, where angels are glowing with radiance. But those are exceptions, not the rule. Everywhere else, they, they look like people. They're, they're not glowing, and they don't have wings. Yes, they ascend and descend, but nowhere does it say when they're ascending and descending that they're flying. Just think about that for a moment. When Jesus returns, he is going to descend. Do you think Jesus sprouted wings in his resurrected body and is going to return in his second coming, not as fully human, but as something else with wings? Because that's what you would have to go with. If you believe that angels ascending and descending are doing so because they're using wings, then in Revelation 10, the same must, uh, uh, must be true of Jesus when he returns, because the same term is used um, in, uh, in describing Jesus' second coming. And obviously, yes, Natasha, Jesus doesn't need wings. Well, guess what? <laughs> Neither do angels. So um, why do people think that angels have wings? Well, that's because in Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 1, there is this reference, references to the seraphim and the cherubim. And they are described as having wings, lots of wings. And so people make the assumption that these characters in the heavenly host, the seraphim and the cherubim, who are described as having wings, those must be angels. But they're not. They're never called angels in the Bible. The seraphim and the cherubim are, yes, members of the heavenly host. They are, um, they are right there in the presence of the living God. And they are described as guardians of the holy presence or guardians of the king. They um, they work in the throne throne room. That's their that's their place of service. They are attending to the sacred presence of God. That's what they're doing. It's their job description. In the same way that the word angel means messenger, the terms seraphim and cherubim are words that indicate a, a job description. Now, God does not need protecting, and God doesn't need bodyguards. Um, God's not scared, but the cherubim and the seraphim. They protect the sacred space from defilement. Nothing that is not holy and no one who is not holy can enter into the presence of God. That's why in Isaiah chapter 6, he's got to be cleansed. That's why, you know, they stick a burning coal in his mouth. Like, right, he's got to be cleansed with fire. That's why you and I can't just enter in until Jesus, um, by his amazing gift of grace upon the cross, tears the dividing uh, you know, curtain between us and the Holy of Holies in two from top to bottom. So the cherubim and the seraphim, they occupy this sacred space in God's throne room. 
And that and these terms would have been very common to the people in the ancient world. They're just uncommon to you and me. Seraphim are fiery beings. They're luminous and they have six wings. You should read Isaiah 6 and um, see what they're doing because they're defending the honor and the glory of our sovereign God. Again, not that God needs bodyguards, not that God is afraid of anything, but God, uh, God can't have anything in his presence that's not holy. And so they prevent the entrance of that, which is um, unholy. So supernatural beings, for sure, members of the heavenly host, for sure. They appear in certain form um, and you know they're there. Cherubim are described in Ezekiel 1, and that language reflects how the Babylonians would have described and recognized these guardians of God. Seraphim, uh, supernatural beings, members of the heavenly host, um, appear in certain form. And the, the, the Egyptians would have understood that lat language and that, that terminology. So you have to remember that the Bible is written over a course of human history when kingdoms rise and fall. And so sometimes the language used in scripture, um, so Isaiah using the language of seraphim and Ezekiel using the language of cherubim, that's because there's a passage of time. The Babylonians would have understood these protectors of the sovereign space and the sacred presence. Um, they would have understood the, the language of seraphim. Uh, and um, so I might have this backwards. Egyptians, seraphim. Babylonians, cherubim. Yeah, there you go. Um, so it, the development of the language over time in terms of describing um, the the job of these particular spiritual beings, you, these are guys you don't cross, all right? And you know it when you see them. So seraphim and cherubim are like job descriptions, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, all right? And Isaiah and Ezekiel understood um, them as beings who you don't cross, warning people that you can only come so close to the holy to the holy God. Don't overstep into the presence of God. You're not allowed to stand in the presence of a holy God unless you yourself are holy. And obviously, you're not. So, angels, what do they do? Who are they? What's their purpose? Well, angel is also a job description. It means messenger. Different entities with different job descriptions and different functions. Um, God sends angels as his agents, as his messengers, to deliver um, his word, to explain earthly messages, sometimes to reveal the mystery of why something is happening. They they serve God to help people um, in particular moments in, in history. Angels sometimes just there to help people process what's going on. I love that particular description because I have certainly been with people who have helped me understand what's going on. Um, and it has never occurred to me that they might be angels, but I guess of that, I might have been unaware. Angels also show up to deliver God's righteous judgment and punishment. Yeah, that's the, um, <clears throat> that's the angels on the scene you don't want to see or be around. Think here of the plagues. Not just the destroying angel, the angel who brings death with the last plague, um, but in the Psalms, the other plagues are linked to, um, to and angels as well. Um, and then the other thing that angels are up to, if you're wondering, like, what's keeping them all busy in heaven all the time, um, you, you're familiar with the book of life, right? That your name is written in the book of life if you are a believer in Jesus. But that's just actually one of the heavenly books. Did you know that? This is why we got to read the Bible and the whole Bible and read it deeply and take notes. Okay, so in the book of Job and other places in the Bible, there's reference to other books, not just the book of life. And the members of the heavenly host, the angelic host, they're like the record keepers. They're like scribes. They're maintaining the books of heaven, the annals of heaven. And you say to yourself, 
Why does God need scribes? I thought God was omniscient. Yes, he is. He sees everything. He knows everything. And a record is being made of it all. Imagine that. A record of all of it is being made. Nothing that happens to you is overlooked. Nothing. Nothing that happens to you is overlooked. So when the Bible says that God looks to and fro across the, across the entire earth and he's looking for something, well, angels are busy operating as his agents um, in the midst of that. So that's another function of angels in God's service. God uses members of his supernatural host to do all kinds of things that he wants to accomplish. And you say, well, why does God need angels? Well, why does God need you and me? Why does God need the church? God chooses to use those he has created, human beings um, in one realm, angels uh, in the heavenly realm and in the earthly realm, to accomplish his will. God likes to have his creatures participate with him in what he's got going on. In Hebrews 1.14, um, angels are described as ministering spirits. And so if you are wondering, um, can you see them? Do you experience them? Are they walking among us today? Yes, yes, and yes. Yes. You have very likely, based on, based on just on today's verse, um, where we talk about being um, showing hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Yeah, you can see them. The question is, do you see them for who they really are? All right. Um, Randy Alcorn, uh, in his book, Heaven, does a really good um, explainer on angels and who they are and what they're up to and the fact that we don't become them when we die. Um, But I don't think there's a better book out there than Michael Heiser's book, literally entitled Angels, if you want to study this topic more deeply. All right, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Um, we have talked uh, pretty frequently now um, about the nuns, this percentage of the American population who, um, you know, regard themselves as not having any religious affiliation. But we want to reach them with the gospel, right? We want to reach them for Jesus. So what approach might we take? Um, Russ Yule is a pastor in the Bay Area, and they have... Um, They've been very, I'll just use the term, successful in reaching the nuns. And so we're going to talk with Russ um, about their experience and how you and I might become more effective in reaching the nuns around us. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What a joy to have Russ Yule with us today. He is one of the pastors at the Bay Area Christian Church up in Silicon Valley. Russ, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. It's great to be on your show. So you um, you live and serve in a context where a lot of your neighbors have not been believers for some period of time. And so while the rest of the country has been doing some hand-wringing of late that uh, there's a rise in, quote, religious nuns or people who are not religiously affiliated, that's pretty much been true where you are, um, you know, through the course of your ministry. So tell us a little bit about your background, how being a religious nun might be a part of your story, and then your neighbors as well. Yeah, uh, you're very right. And uh, as you've covered for your listeners before, the uh, 28% of people in America considering themselves religiously unaffiliated is now 
in, in one sense, the, the largest group of, of uh, people that uh, are represented by the Pew Research uh, over and above evangelicals and Catholics, which is uh, surprising uh, and, and, and a different trend that we've had in the past. I come from that past. In, uh, in college, um, I was an agnostic and I was in high school. Uh, you'll uh, People are wondering, well, what is that like? Uh, well, when I was in high school, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is uh, in the north, but not unlike Nashville. Uh, very, very uh, spiritual slash religious place. A lot of churches. Jesus-y, uh, man. It's a Jesus yeah. place. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I never went, didn't, didn't want to go, stayed away from it, couldn't stand it. Uh, now, all my, most, a lot of my friends were, would go, but I just was like, nah, leave me alone. Uh, and, and my senior year, one of my best friends went to a group called Young Life. And uh, and he said, uh, why don't you come with me? And I was like, you know, I don't want to go to that. He goes, but they're giving out $20 to whoever brings a visitor, and we could win $20. And I, I needed gas money, and I was like, hey, that sounds like a deal to me. And so I went on out and went to it, uh, and uh, we, we ended up winning the $20 because I was the only visitor who showed up. Uh, and uh, I, I got done, and they asked me, did you love it? Did you like it? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's great. It's great. But I never went again and didn't want to go again. It wasn't until college, and that's how a lot of nuns are. They, they, ha- I had a preconceived notion about what uh, church was like, but I, I was also like a nun where it says 49% of them say spirituality is important. In my view, some of those people will think that philosophy is spirituality. Uh, about mm-hmm. 75%, 70% believe in God or a higher power. That was me again. I was agnostic, but I was like, that's probably something out there that can't be explained by science. When I got to college, I played in an intramural basketball league, and I ended up finding a guy who was really phenomenal. He's really good, and I wanted to recruit him for my team. Uh, when I met him and talked to him, got to know him, he invited me to a Bible study. I went along. Long story made short, I never played for his—he never played for my basketball team. I ended up playing for his basketball team, and I became a Christian. And so the thing about nuns in the Bay Area is many of them have a preconceived notion, a perception, maybe even a stereotype about religious people or churches. And until they meet somebody personally, those barriers can't be removed. There's a lot of things we can do to, to remove them, but it will take effort and it will take some cultural and even language change. Yeah, I want to talk about some of those um, methodologies and strategies that um, that you have implemented where you are, and you have seen, um, you know, pro- prove themselves out over time. Let me remind everybody: we're talking with Russ Yule. He is one of the pastors at the Bay Area Christian Church in the Bay Area of California. Um, and I'm using as a part of our conversation today a piece that Russ authored in Relevant Magazine. And I'm happy to send you the direct link if you'd like all of those resources. You know how this works. Just text me eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four, and I'll send you the direct link. Um, to the material that we're talking about today. Um, Russ, talk with us about what you have seen in terms, I mean, it's relational. First of all, let's start there, which by the way, is the Young Life model, being an old Young Life person. When you said that, I smiled. Um, So yeah, it's all relational. It's all based on relationships. Um, And so talk with us, you know, what what are some means or some methods that you have experienced and that you have witnessed others using in terms of reaching people who are younger and maybe, you know, genuinely a part of a secularized generation. Like they they don't know the language. They don't know the rhythms. They wouldn't even know if I invited them to church exactly what that would mean. Exactly. And and I think, you know, one of the things that I, I believe is really important 
uh, is uh, belonging to a spiritual community. You want to be tied in well, and you want to have a spiritual culture uh, that I think speaks the language of spirituality instead of religiosity. I think that's important. Mm. Now, I, I think, you know, like programs like yours where you can listen to something spiritual and get a little bit of a devotional to keep yourself strong, because one of the things that happens when you're amongst the secular world of the nuns is it's easy for a lot of people to just drift into, oh, yeah, maybe I won't believe in God. Maybe I'll believe in a higher power because they don't have their foundation biblically and spiritually strong. So I would encourage people to always think first about, OK, how strong am I keeping my faith? How strong am I keeping my biblical foundation? That allows us then to be flexible or adaptable, like Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, where he said he became all things to all men. He wasn't being assimilated. He was becoming an influence, a salt, a light in the world. And so one of the things we focus a lot on is what Jesus did. Uh, in Acts 10, I think it's in verse 38, he, taught, he went around doing good. And so one of our focuses is doing good. We do everything from toy drives. We're one of the largest uh, toy drives in the Bay Area. Uh, trunk or treats every Halloween. People will come to our buildings and they will be in, in our services or on our campuses and they can come to trunk or treat. We have a lot of people come out. Not everybody comes to church, but what we do is when we serve the community, we don't have any kind of a, a, a connection where you have to say, I am going to go to your church so I can participate in this. You don't have to affiliate with us. You can just enjoy the good we do. We partner uh, with a lot of adoption agencies and support them with all kinds of drives if they need things for school or they need backpacks or, or, or whatever may be the case. One of the coolest things I think that we do as a church and, and other churches, uh, we've shared what we do and they're doing it, it's called eLife. It's an inclusive program where special needs and typical kids and adults play sports together. They learn together. They go on adventures together, and the goal is they become lifelong friends. And we have e-soccer, we have e-hoops, and an assortment of other ones, e-fitness, e-dance. We've partnered with the basketball teams here in the Bay Area, the professional team. We've partnered with the professional uh, soccer team here. And in doing that, we're able to reach hundreds, if not thousands of people. It's really grown from that because it started really small with only about eight kids uh, years ago in the late 90s. But we partner with them, and we impact people through serving and doing good. The other thing we do is we have a focus in our church of making God known, because we think the first step is that it's like A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about any individual is what they think about God. And so we try to make sure they know who God is. We believe if they know God, if they get inspired about a relationship with God, if they understand how personal, how how powerful that can be, that's going to lead to them wanting to be able to be a part of a spiritual community. Uh, another thing we do is bivocational. We have our staff are bivocational. For any of them that aren't, we get them there, meaning they can be in the ministry and a software engineer, and we'll pay the whole salary. We, we're not looking to, to get money for them. We literally want them to be in the world, building relationships with people and getting to know people. Uh, we have a, a last thing I'll mention is deep spirituality. We created a site with devotionals and spiritual content for people who are like nuns, who it's an introductory thing. It has videos and devotionals, but it requires no religious affiliation. It requires no doctrinal position that you have to take trying to make God known. So those are some of the things that we do. That's so good. That's so good. We're talking with Russ Yule. Um, one of the things that, you know, is interesting about Russ is that he's a pastor, but he also has some other interesting things about him as well. And um, this conversation about 
eLife, um, this inclusive, really lots of different sports programs. I'll describe it that way. But as soon as I say eSports, your brain starts thinking about um, digital sports and technology. And so we're talking about exceptional sports when we're talking about Russ. Um, there are lots of ways to do good and in the doing good to make God known. And I would say that's really Russ's sweet spot. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. But I want you to think about somebody that you know that doesn't know Jesus the way you know Jesus and how you might bridge that gap. Um, Might it be through inviting them to something that, well, is is a good thing that's happening in your community that your church is partnering in? Um, Might it be something other than Sunday morning worship? I think that's what I'm trying to get at. Sometimes we imagine that that's how, you know, people need to be invited, quote, into church, but they really need to be invited into relationship and into community and then we have to find a way to introduce them to the God who is real, who we really know through a real relationship. And that's part of this conversation as well. So we'll continue talking with Russ here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. All right. Did you think of a person who you know who doesn't know Jesus the way you know Jesus, but you want them to know Jesus and you're trying to figure out how to bridge that gap? That is um, Russ Yule's sweet spot. He serves on a church staff in the Bay Area. It's called the Bay Area Christian Church. But he's also um, a tech guy. Uh, He is a ministry outside the box guy. Um, Russ, tell us a little bit more about exceptional sports and how you got involved. Yeah, one of the uh, cool things that you distinguished, and and it's it's a reason we are moving to the term e-life, is because e-sports thinks about gaming. Interestingly enough, we have an e-gaming program for people who use, play uh, 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 games on uh, computer, uh, desktops, and, and, and phones, etc. But the way I got involved was I have two special needs kids. I have three kids total. I have two special special needs kids, one with Down syndrome and one with autism. And we were, uh, my oldest son, uh, we were part of a baseball program, but the baseball program had a special needs team that was separate and apart from everybody else. It was a great program. But when we went, I noticed that my son and I weren't having the same kind of fun I had when I was growing up in Michigan and playing sports. 
because he was separating from his friends during the activity, the kids he was growing up with and playing with so that he could be on just the special needs team. And I told my wife, I said, I don't know, there's just something that that I that I feel like I want him to experience what I experienced, which is the same kids he goes to school with, the same kids in the neighborhood he plays with. And so I reached out to some of my friends who happened to be soccer players, some of them in college and some beyond college. And I said, hey, is it possible to do this? I read an article that said, Hand-to-eye coordination is more difficult than foot-to-eye coordination, which is one of the reasons soccer is the most popular sport in the world. And one of the guys said, yeah, we can get it started. So we took eight kids, went to a field across the street from my house at a local uh, a middle school. And we used, and the funny thing is it had goose geese went there all the time, Canadian geese. <laughs> so we had to scrape off the goose dung. And, and we got that off. And we began to play with eight kids, uh, parents of each of the eight kids. And we had eight coaches. Or no, we had 10 coaches. And so we began to to work there. Uh, The interesting part about that is my sons took to it right away because it was them next to their typical friend playing soccer, learning how to play soccer. Now, I'll I'll go ahead and give myself away. Uh, A mom came by, saw us, and found out we were doing, said, hey, can I have my kid join? And I was like, well, you know, this is for my kids, and this isn't really a program. Because at that point, I wasn't starting a program. I was just trying to do something to help my sons have fun and be a good dad. I went home and told my wife, and I'm sure, Carmen, you know exactly what she said. She goes, what are you doing turning away people from this? And I was like, here I am, this Christian minister, you know, doing everything you shouldn't do as a Christian, because I was thinking about myself. And so after that, it ballooned to 100 kids, then 200 kids. We ended up having to go to the East Bay, the West Bay, and now it's all over. It's thousands of kids and multiple churches. And so that's how we got started with that. It's so good. This is like the real No Kid Left Behind um, program, and I just, um, I love it, and it's beautiful. Um, Let me just go ahead and say, we are going to run out of time in this conversation to talk about everything that I want to talk about. So can I just go ahead and get you on the hook to come back and talk about your book at another time? Yeah, no problem. I enjoyed this. So Russ has a book. Well, we're not done yet, but I got too many questions on the topic we are talking about for us to get to the book. So the book is, He's Not Who You Think He Is?, dropping your assumptions and discovering God yourself. And um, we will talk with Russ about that on another occasion. But right now, I just want to continue on the path that we're currently on, because I'm thinking that over your, I don't know, 30-ish years of ministry, the the question about God and the God question has changed a little bit. And I'm, I think you're the perfect person to address this. There was a point in time when people were asking, is it true? And sort of all of the apologetics ministries grew up around the is it true question. But that's certainly not the question that emerging generations and current skeptics or non-religious people are asking. They are asking an, a, a beauty question. Is it beautiful? They're asking the is it attractive question. Can you address how the question has changed as generations have emerged? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a profound question, honestly. And I know for me, um, it, it sort of ties into... Um, you know, what I mentioned earlier about what people think about God. Now, um, I I think the question today that most people are asking that I run into in my church, I'm going to, I'm going to layer this a little bit. When they come in, they aren't asking about church. They're not asking about God. They're asking about their mental health. They're asking about the stress of their life. They're asking about marriage. They're asking about distance between mom and them, dad and them. They're asking about purpose in life. They're searching for, you know, why, who am I, identity questions. And what to me has happened is they don't think God is part of that question. 
they don't think God is an answer to that question. They think God is a set of rules, a set of guidelines, a place to be, a place to go, uh, a, a, a judgment of their life. Uh, and I think we all know that's not really true. There's very little understanding of God's love and the basic gospel. They don't see God that way. There's very little of God's purpose. And that's one of the things that inspires me the most is the purpose of God. And so the emptiness that I think is out there, and you see it in the numbers, uh, uh, when um, um, the Surgeon General came out with his uh, report on loneliness, 70 percent of kids pre-pandemic were feeling like they had no face-to-face friends, really good friends. So loneliness is epidemic in part, I think, because the true loneliness is only eradicated by our personal relationship with God, being able to be with someone who will carry you, walk with you, and know you like no human being can know you. And so the bridge that I find we have to do is, is getting people to understand this is a God you don't know, and this is a God that is not church. He's God. And until you know that God, you can't truly understand the spiritual community. And believe it or not, we've had great success introducing people to a God of the Bible, not a God of the media, not a God of the religious person you may or may not know or may or may not like. And so I think that's how the question has changed. And I hope I answered that well. That was a tough question. Yeah. No, that's really, um, that's actually a really good segue into a future conversation that we could have about your book. Um, Because I feel like he's not who you think he is, is really addressed to the person who might be interested in God, they don't know that that's what they're interested in. They Because what they think about God is based on like organized religious institutions and terrible things that they've heard that aren't true, um, but are have been experienced by some people. Like it's, it's a complicated mess out there. And so people are genuinely interested in God. They just don't even know that the questions that they're asking and that the needs that they're experiencing um, are God related and that God is the answer to them. So your book really does address that. So I look forward to a follow-up conversation, Russ, about your book, because I do think it'll be a real gift, um, a real gift to folks who are really searching and struggling with the kinds of things that, um, that you talked about and what they really lack is a genuine relationship with the God who really is. Um, so let me today just say, Thank you so much. What a delight to begin a conversation with you. Um, And, you know, thank you for joining us. It's been awesome to be here. Inspiring. Yeah, well, that is totally mutual. You guys can connect with Russ online. I'm happy to send you the direct link not only to his website, but to the article in Relevant Magazine that I was keying off of today. I'm not alarmed by religious nuns, Russ says, um, and you shouldn't be either. So, um, So that's Russ Ewell and happy to connect you directly with him. So what are the questions that people in and around your life are asking? Or if they were going to ask a question, what kind of question would it be? My guess is that as Russ points out, you and I know a lot of people whose questions are um, not centered on God language or even make reference to God, but they really are ultimately God questions. Um, They are the questions of loneliness, fear desperation, um, pain, disease, brokenness. They are the questions of sin, although people don't have that language um, for it. So do you think that God is the answer and has something to say about every single one of the questions that you and everyone around you is asking? Like, is that your worldview, that God actually 
cares deeply and intimately and personally about you and everyone else, the world and everything in it, might that lead to a question, who is God? And where would you look for those answers? Yes, there is um, certainly enough of God, uh, God's character and his design and his purpose revealed in creation that we are without excuse to not believe in him. That's what scripture says. But to know him, to know him is not to just look at the things that he has made. I can't really know the artist by just looking at the art. I can't really know the author by just reading the book. But reading the book, <laughs> the Bible, is a great place to start to understand who God is and his purpose. So have you met with God today? Are you in the word of God, the Old and New Testament? Are you helping to build the bridge between the questions that people in the culture are asking and the way God answers those questions with himself? People don't need you. They don't need me. They don't need a piece of our mind. They do need the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. And you and I get to be ambassadors of that king and that kingdom. We get to introduce people to the God who is. Yes, the God revealed in creation and the Old and New Testaments of the Bible revealed in the person of Jesus, available and active today by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you didn't have a plan for the day yet, well, there's one. We got another hour together up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.